Good Bone Health makes active aging possible. Join us for inspiring conversations from diverse perspectives in osteoporosis from patients, healthcare providers, caregivers, policymakers, researchers, advocates, and innovators. Protect your ability to live your best life. The information and opinions expressed in Bone Talk are not intended to replace the services of trained and qualified health professionals or to be a substitute of medical advice of physicians. You may review the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation's full medical disclaimer at bonehealthandosteoporosis.org. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Bone Talk. I'm Claire Gill, CEO of the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation. Joining me today is Wendy Kaplan, a registered dietitian nutritionist specializing in oncology, weight management, and endocrinology. Wendy holds a Master's of Science degree in Nutrition and Food Studies from New York University. She is board-certified specialist in oncology nutrition, a certified diabetes care and education specialist, and is currently the Director of Nutritional Services at New York Cancer and Blood Specialist. Wendy has extensive experience in numerous healthcare areas, including clinical, wellness, and research. She believes that good nutrition before, during, and after cancer treatment makes a difference in how people feel during treatment and how they respond to treatment. And she also believes that nutrition plays an important role in reducing post-treatment complications. Wendy is passionate about helping people optimize their health and overall well-being and we are so glad to have her on our podcast. Wendy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Claire, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. This is such an important topic. It really is. And I'm, I'm delighted to have been introduced to you by our mutual friend and to be able to kind of share with our listeners some really important information about the connection, first of all, between bone and cancer, because many people don't realize that as you get treated, cancer, it can impact your bones. And also to just discuss some really important nutritional things that implicate our overall health and wellness. So I know that as I've been working in, in health, women's health over the past decade, I've really become fascinated by the role nutrition and diet plays in disease prevention and management. So tell me a little bit about what inspired you to enter the nutrition profession and when did you decide to focus on cancer care? That is very true. Diet and nutrition play a huge role in disease prevention and management. There's a lot of research out there to support eating certain nutrients, specific food groups, and certain dietary patterns. That doing this can positively influence our health and potentially prevent and help manage certain diseases. An ideal pattern would consist of unprocessed foods, predominantly plant based foods that are loaded with tons of healthful components that help fight diseases such as cancer, cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, and other diseases as well. In other words, we should include fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, legumes, nuts, and seeds in conjunction with low-fat dairy and lean meat proteins. This is an overall healthful eating pattern. However, this is not what the typical Western diet consists of, which is processed foods, refined grains, that's where all the nutrients are stripped out, fatty foods, bread and processed meats, and sugary beverages. One of the biggest connections with cancer and nutrition 
is that once you receive a cancer diagnosis, you could be left feeling so overwhelmed and not in control. When there's so much that's not in your control, food is one of the few things you still can control. So it's super empowering. So when I was 19, I was in college and a friend told me that she was going to major in nutrition. Before that, I didn't even know it existed as a profession. Literally at that moment, I knew what I wanted to do. Also at that point in my life, my mom had battled cancer two times. The first time I was 12. So I wanted to go out and cure cancer with food. Oh, that's great. Now, of course, I know that single foods don't cause or cure cancer. But I also know that nutrition does play a major role in all stages of cancer, in prevention, in treatment, and post-treatment. And not just cancer. It plays a big role in other areas that affect the oncology population, such as endocrinology and bone health and cardio-oncology. I love working as an oncology dietitian, and my team and I take a very proactive approach to lessen potential side effects that patients may experience after treatment is completed. And this includes bone health. We offer so many services and supportive services that are close to home. And um, you know, I'm thankful to be working for a place where we could take such a proactive stance. That's fantastic. It really, it does make such a difference when you're able to really work on something that has such an importance to you personally, as well as professionally, when you know that you're helping patients to kind of, you know, find their way through, especially during the challenging time. You know, when you mentioned how cancer patients, when you get the diagnosis, and again, then so much is out of your control, but what you choose to eat and how you choose to think about the process of healing is really, really important. We say the same in bone. You know, there's, as we'll get into a little more, you know, there's so many similarities um, regarding what you should do to eat healthy to protect your bones, as well as all those other major chronic diseases that you checked off, you know, including cancer and cardio and, and diabetes, et cetera, are all really impacted. So that original pattern of eating that you talked about where you were saying, you know, that's not how we traditionally eat, you know, in, our, in Western societies. And I'm amazed that when we really, if you think about that, and if we would all actually follow that, it would do wonders and kind of preventing some of the diseases where there are a contributing factor from, you know, the gut or from our nutritional stuff. Are there anything specific, though, like to cancer that you would suggest to a patient beyond that, that healthy pattern of eating to kind of get through their treatments? How do you, is it very individualized? Are there some general recommendations? Well, in general, like you said, nutrition is a very powerful tool at all stages of the cancer continuum. So in terms of nutrition suggestions, yes, you know, it's going to vary from person to person, depending on the type of treatments or maintenance modalities that they're receiving, whether it's chemotherapy, immunotherapy, radiation therapy, and hormone therapy, which we know significantly affects bone health. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, we have a lot of information about that uh, on our website, specifically to, you know, the, the loss of estrogen that we have that causes, in women that causes bone. And again, that the impact then when you have to 
uh, eradicate the estrogen from the body to prevent the growth of cancer, then obviously that takes a huge toll on it. Can you just kind of talk very briefly about the medications in oncology that affect bone health? So the thing is, bone loss is something that everyone experiences at different stages in life. However, bone loss in the cancer patient is even that much more profound. Certain medications that are used to save patients also cause these bone issues. Some of these would be um, aromatase inhibitors or even just going into uh, ovarian failure secondary to surgery, different chemotherapies or the use of luteinizing hormones things like that. Specifically, also, a lot of patients get uh, corticosteroids. So the use of steroids profoundly affects bone health. That, I believe, is the number one cause of bone loss. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's a shame that what we need to take to protect us and to heal us from some of these major diseases have such a profound effect on our bone, as you said. But you know, I think it's really important that, you know, we address the most significant and the, the biggest priority health scare, right, which obviously would be the cancer, and then, you know, help educate, you know, patients and consumers about what they can do to protect their bone after they've successfully completed their treatment. So um, it's scary, but it's also really important to know that there's so much that can be done. And it really is just a matter of addressing the highest risk first. Let's talk a little bit more about, again, when you talked about the the pattern of good nutrition and um, what are some of the nutrients that people need in their diet that are beneficial for both their bone health and for cancer prevention? That is such a good question because in general, there is a lot of overlap. A lot stems back to an overall pattern of eating. So how do we optimize bone health through diet? And how is that also like a crossover in terms of cancer health and or prevention or prevention of recurrence? So diet and lifestyle are extremely important to help optimize bone health. But it's usually, in some cases, I just want to point out that it's not always enough to rely on diet alone. However, it does play a significant role. So what can we do in terms of diet and bone health? Two big things are to get enough calcium and vitamin D. So how much do we need? Based on guidelines, we want to shoot to get 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams of calcium. And the NCCN, which is the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, recommends aiming for 1,200 milligrams a day. Now, this can be in combination of diet and supplement. In terms of food, Dairy foods are such a great source of calcium. So we want to try to have low-fat milk, yogurt, cheese, cottage cheese. But there are also plenty of great non-dairy options as well. This would be, um, actually, one of my go-to favorites is calcium-fortified orange juice or fortified plant-based milk. Some other good options are canned salmon with bone. Collard greens, if you like collard greens, one cup cooked offers 200 milligrams of calcium. Tofu set in calcium, a half a cup, also offers close to 200 milligrams. 
And one tablespoon of blackstrap molasses also offers that. However, to be honest, I don't know many people who regularly consume blackstrap molasses. However, my thought is why not to add it to a smoothie? If you're going to add honey or sugar or something else, why not go for it? Yeah, that's a great idea. So in terms of calcium, I do notice, and the same with vitamin D, which I'm going to get into in a minute, it is hard for most people to reach recommended amounts. So that's where myself and other dietitians would come in to individualize a strategy and plan to help meet your needs so that you know that you are hitting what you need to do your best to help your bone. In terms of a supplement, we have two choices. We have calcium citrate, calcium carbonate. Both are good. If somebody was on a proton pump inhibitor, you would want to go with the calcium carbonate because that doesn't require stomach acid to be absorbed. Also, if you if it turns out that you do need to rely a little bit more on supplements with calcium, you just don't want to take more than 500 milligrams at a time because our bodies can't absorb more than that. So the best thing to do would be to split the dose, do 500 in the morning, 500 later in the day. Now, as for vitamin D, we want to aim for about 800 to 1,000 milligrams a day. And again, this too can be in combination with food and supplements. So good sources would be salmon, sockeye salmon, swordfish, tuna fish, canned in water, Again, the fortified milks, those are a great way to get in calcium and vitamin D. Just read the labels, make sure it is fortified. And if it is, it's going to say that it provides 25 to 30% of the daily value. There is also, to a lesser extent, a little vitamin D in eggs and yogurt. And uh, I don't know how many people love cod liver oil, but one tablespoon does offer a lot of vitamin D as well. Yeah, so the cod liver oil back in the day, you know, centuries ago, I guess they were really good on their vitamin D with that, you know. That that's great, great recommendations, and and truly those hit all of the points that we try to emphasize so much when we're talking to osteoporosis patients about you know how to get their calcium, how to get the vitamin D, how important it is, and these days how easy it is. Like you said, all of the fortified foods really do help us get that in our diet. So let's talk about the opposite end then. Are there things that people going through cancer treatment should avoid? Any foods to be avoided? Well, in terms of going through cancer treatment, we really say to avoid foods that have to do more with like a food safety issue. So we don't want anything raw, rare, unpasteurized. But this also goes back to the Western diet pattern where eating basically junk food or refines carbohydrates. You know, it's all our cakes, our cookies, our processed foods, and things like white bread and rice. And it's okay to eat those. But the amounts that we eat tend to dominate our diets. And then there's less room for the healthful foods that we really need to have. Yeah, we satiate ourselves with all of the bad stuff. And then, like you said, then we're too full to finish the vegetables on our plates. I've kind of been famous for that. Yeah. (laughs) I know. To help preserve bone health, I like to focus on what we can do. 
I like to add in things. You know, again, we want to think plant-based. You know, there are a lot of good plans out there, whether it's a DASH diet, a Mediterranean diet, or just a general plant-based way of eating. But I do want to point out that plant-based doesn't mean no meat. It just means we want to get in our plant foods. There's room for everything because these plant foods contain antioxidants and phytochemicals and vitamins and minerals that have been shown to protect against cancer in multiple ways, as well as bones, bone health. It helps neutralize acid and things like that. So in an ideal world, we would want to eat about two cups of fruit and three cups of vegetables a day. Now, to the average person hearing me say that, I wonder if that seems like a lot, but uh, I want to try to break it down so you realize that it's not too difficult to do. So two cups of fruit would translate to about four servings of fruit. Again, four servings may seem like a lot, but it would be a half a cup of berries, one small apple. So if you have a larger size apple, that's actually two fruits and that's 50% of your day. So you're eating breakfast, you have yogurt, a bowl of cereal, oatmeal, throw in a half a cup of berries. You know, you can always throw it in as a snack as well. So it does add up more quickly than people think. And servings are small, six strawberries, medium size are a serving. So plenty of people eat double that. So you might even be getting more than you think you are. And then in terms of vegetables, again, to get in six servings, it would be a half a cup of cooked vegetables. Or say you were going to have a salad. Well, leafy greens, you would actually need two cups to count as a serving only because it's large in the surface area. So say you throw lettuce on a plate that counts as your base, but you're also going to be adding other vegetables. So that's going to add up quickly. If you have any type of egg or scramble or omelet or something like that in the morning, that's an easy way to get in. Mushroom, tomato, spinach, all these other vegetables, bell pepper, things like that. If you have a sandwich for lunch and throw on a handful of greens and two slices of tomato, that counts as a vegetable serving. So that's what I like to do with my patients, work in ways to add in fruits and vegetables. Because again, besides bone health and cancer, there's a big crossover between other diseases and conditions as well. Yeah, and it's I love that you're talking about how to incorporate it into what we're already doing, because that is something that makes it so much easier when we're thinking about, oh, I have to change my whole nutrition you know, plan to be healthier. And as you said, it's really just kind of adding some fruits and vegetables into what we, we're already probably consuming that can be so easy. And then the benefit, as you said, is not only are we doing better about our bone health, and not only are we helping potentially with cancer prevention or with management, but we're probably doing a lot for our heart health and we're preventing all kinds of other, you know, potential chronic diseases. So it's cool to be able, that's why I say fascinating how much our nutrition and diet can really improve our overall health. Exactly. And I'm not taking away your cake or your cookies. <laughs> there was no there was no limiting, although again, everything in moderation, as we talk about, you know, that's so important. Let's talk a little bit about meal planning because I I really think that if we spent a little 
just a little time every week on meal planning, the eating healthier would be so much easier. So how do you work with that with your patients? I 100% agree. And this is a really great question. I do find our patients and people in general struggle with meal planning. Maybe it's because they're too busy. Maybe it's because they're uncertain of what steps to take. Or maybe it's because it's just too difficult while undergoing cancer treatments. So of course, everything is individualized, but I can offer some tips to get you started. The first thing I would say is designate a little time each week, a little time on Saturday, a little time on Sunday, whatever works for you, and think about the week ahead. Make a blueprint for the week, whether you want to do something handwritten or a lot of people do like apps, whatever works for you is fine. Some things to take into consideration while doing this would be, what's your budget? How many people are eating? How much time do you have to put a meal together? So after you kind of have this plan or this blueprint, the next step is to find recipes. So look on a website, look in magazines, look on cookbooks, ask your registered dietitian nutritionist, you know, especially if we're working in ways to, you know, intervene and that require medical nutrition therapy. And if you need certain nutrients for bone health, I know we talked about calcium and vitamin D, but there are other supporting players as well, like magnesium and protein and vitamin K and, you know, all these other nutrients that work synergistically together. I'm going to direct you towards recipes that have low-fat dairy, fortified milk alternatives, chicken, whole grains, yogurt, pumpkin seeds chickpeas, leafy greens, bok choy, even just adding a quarter cup of dried figs will give somebody an extra 100 milligrams of calcium. And one of my favorites that I make regularly is using um, is burritos, but using collard greens as the burrito wrap. Oh, that's really cool. I mean, I think, I think about lettuce wraps and stuff. I didn't think about collard yeah. greens. They're actually perfect for that. You could throw anything in them, you know, just like a burrito, but it's with the collard green. And then after you have your plan and your recipes, make a shopping list. This way you see what you have. You don't duplicate buying ingredients and, you know, you could plan that way. And then the next step when that's done is to strategize the execution. You want to do what you can to make things easier. And this could mean maybe even keep keeping cooking utensils and uh, shelf-stable ingredients together on, a, on your countertop or in a designated area, you want to make things flow easily. Maybe chop vegetables in advance or buy bagged or pre-cut vegetables. I do that all the time. You could batch cook grains. I am all for hacks. And remember, frozen is healthy too. So you could lots of ways to just kind of plan in advance. You know, then when it's time to cook, if you have leftovers, you could refrigerate and freeze. That's so great. I mean, I think it's just those those steps that you outline that makes it so much easier for people as we think through, you know, if you just dedicate a little time, as you said, to this weekly planning, we could all eat so much healthier. And again, it's inspired me to do it in my own in my own life, because I keep talking about it, but like you, you know, you're rushing around and I feel like I, I either waste so many good foods, which drives me insane, or you grab something unhealthy because it's it's fast and it's easy and it's convenient. And 
again, there's just so much we could do to make that better. So I really love your inspiration for that. So um, I know that you're, uh, again, because we have our, our mutual foodie friend, I know that you like Cook. And I, uh, you know, spent my career, my early part of my career in food PR. So I love talking about recipes and food. So I know we have some good recipes to direct people to, which we will at the nycancer.com, you know, at your professional stuff. What, what's one of your favorite go-to healthy recipes? Claire, I think that's the hardest question you've asked me so far. Hmm. My team and I, we love create and custom tweak recipes. We have some great ones on our website. But in addition to recipes, there are a lot of articles that are chock filled with information and tips on nutrition and wellness, including things on meal planning, including things on bone health and all that kind of stuff. So I would say go check out the recipe. Go check out the website at www.nycancer.com because in addition to recipes, you will find these other great pearls. But if I had to pick one recipe, there's a recipe for peanut butter energy balls, which is super easy. I like that one, but really I like the recipes. Yeah, I think it's something if, if it might be easier for people who love to cook, right? Because then spending time creating the meal plan and, and looking for recipes and stuff is just really exciting and, and people enjoy that. So yeah, I think it's, it's wonderful. But I think, as you said, people don't realize how many places and all for free now, you can get such great tips, such great recipes. And then it's just a matter of being inspired to actually, you know, put in yeah. a little bit of effort to do it, you know, so that's great. Well, I'm so thrilled that we got a chance to talk and that you were able to share your expertise with us and with our audience. And I, I again, just appreciate so much you being here. Um, as I mentioned, we'll have links to the BHOF resources and materials associated with this bonetalk.org. But you can also get more information about Bone Strong Healthy for Life recipes at our website, bonehealthandosteoporosis.org. And if you like this episode, please do two things. One, subscribe to Bone Talk so you never miss an episode. And two, please share it with your friends and family. Thanks again, Wendy, for being here. We're so delighted that you were able to join us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining Bone Talk, the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation's podcast that shares information, strategies, and inspiration about good bone health that makes active aging possible. To learn more about bone health, to become involved and or help fuel BHOF's mission with financial support, visit bonehealthandosteoporosis.org.